Wow. What an interesting challenge today already. Um, I don't know if people heard that at home, but um, anyway, we, we were challenged here with some technical difficulties, obviously. But um, I, I'm just more and more challenged over these coming weeks to, to talk about the word even more because I think we need to... Uh, I'm seeing more and more, and it's really... In some ways, it, it horrifies me that people are not um, are not getting into the word, and instead looking for some experience and just some emotional uplifting. Uh, and yet, that's all that's all temporary. Um, and so, I'm I'm concerned, and I, I've been God has really put it on my heart, and He's shown me all sorts of uh, real uh, horribleness that's going on, just in terms of people's turmoil and lives. You know, not not that the people are horrible, but their their circumstance and what they're going through. Is, is seems like they can't escape and the word can rescue people because we're rescued we stand here today we sit here today rescued by jesus because of the word and we we get to read about him and we get to enjoy what he's about and, and what he's done so uh, today's sermon i haven't got the other screen on um so we're going to do this with a bit of guesswork and they might see me just look up quickly uh, just to see to make sure the, the screen is up but today uh, we're looking at this uh, understanding to acceptance uh, and this this kind of road um, how do we understand the bible and then how do we accept uh, what the bible is saying uh, because we're, what we're going to look at is joseph mainly today and we're looking at how the uh, how jesus um, was um, given to mary by the holy spirit uh, and then we, we're mainly focusing on Joseph's journey in that. Uh, and, and in some ways, much of what we have to go for ourselves uh, in these decisions. Um, but it, I, I found it incredibly interesting to get back into uh, this passage. And especially because this is normally a Christmas sermon. You know, this is normally for Christmas. And we talk about the birth of Jesus. Um, uh, and it's interesting. Again, I'm challenged by this fact that we, we place scripture in human timelines and human events because that seems to be more comfortable for us. Um, and yet the gospel, whatever it says in it, should be preached all the time. And uh, it doesn't have a place or a season. It doesn't have a time uh, in that sense. It's just all available all today. And so we talk about the baby in a manger and the stable. Uh, school plays are performed uh, to these verses, more so in Luke, but even then the school play that was about the birth of Jesus, when we used to see that, has kind of turned into creative pieces that stray far from the Bible that we see from the text today. We have aliens um, because we want to be all inclusive, we want to bring everyone into the plays. And we have aliens and robots and an array of various characters that are brought into this story at Christmas. Um, but obviously, I can say to you right now that they're not found in the pages of the Bible. Uh, robots and aliens are not, even though the word alien is in the Bible, uh, but it's not talking about that. Uh, but even when this account of the Messiah is turned into a film, producers, directors, writers, they go wild with creative um, interludes and fillers. There's some really good uh, TV programs and films based on the life of Jesus. There's some really terrible films and TV programs based on the life of Jesus, mostly because they fill in stuff that uh, they, they struggle because it's not in the Bible. So they have to fill with all this stuff and it ends up being a weird mishmash of human uh, filling and, and the Bible, and it just kind of loses that true account of the birth of the Savior of, of, of the world. And so they think it's not edgy enough, it's not gripping enough, so we'll throw some other stuff in there. So for our message today, 
I want to talk about the road from understanding to acceptance. I want us to understand uh, that accepting Jesus, born of a virgin, who is God, who came to save us from our sins, is enough. Isn't that amazing? Is enough. And I want us to understand that acceptance of the salvation through Jesus is also a road we have to take, meaning that it's vital that acceptance of Jesus is done carefully and with a clear understanding of what that acceptance means. Uh, and we certainly live in an age where um, people do just want to hear the good parts, I say good parts in quotes, of Jesus, the good teacher bits uh, that, that really are pleasant to us. And they don't want to hear uh, the other parts which are about truth, about uh, of our destinations and, and what Jesus has truly done to save us from a certain hell. So we're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. I've not done that one, that's that one. Uh, 18 to 25. Quick look. And it says this, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin, be, uh, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to, to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to, uh, <laughs> that word's covered up, uh, to give birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I knew that was going to say son. Uh, but you never know with the Bible, so you just have to be be sure you're reading correctly. Um, so where are we now? Let's let's kind of go through what this is. The book of Matthew is really known as uh, the book of generation. You'll know that if you've read Matthew at the start, you'll know that at the beginning there's a genealogy of Jesus. <clears throat> and so the book of Matthew is kind of referred to as this book of generation. And it opens with the genealogy of Jesus. It speaks of Jesus translated as the Lord is salvation. Salvation that is open to all. The Christ that makes up the spiritual Israel that includes all believers in Christ, no longer restricted to the physical Israel, uh, but now open to Jew and Gentile alike. Salvation by the only true means, by the Father who is God through Jesus who is God. Let me get this right. Okay. Oh, I've lost my way here. Okay. Technology is not playing the game today. Okay, let's, let's go with John 1, verse 17 to 18. And it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through, uh, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but, the God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus, who came to make possible entry into God's presence and who promised that we could have the next closest relationship with God. John 17, verses 20 to 23, says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's not on there. Uh, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In order to even begin uh, to accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we must first understand why he came and how he came to be God incarnate or God made flesh, as the translation is. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And this road to acceptance can be a long one. Um, and this is especially so since a, a recent survey was only released uh, probably a few uh, days ago, actually, that uh, in America, uh, 52% of Americans and 30% of evangelicals say they believe that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. And so what you're seeing is a slow uh, corruption uh, of, of the word in that we're, we're trying to remove, if we remove godliness from Jesus, my life can be better. My life means I don't have to compromise. I don't have to give my life to Jesus as much because actually he's just bringing a good message to be good to people. That's not quite the message that the Bible states. And my hope and prayer is that those who do not believe in the Jesus who is God come to an understanding of the truth in time before he returns. For this is the fundamental truth of the gospel that cannot be refuted. So I want us to start to understand the gravity and impact of the birth of Jesus so we can and continue to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so our reading opens with an engagement between Mary and Joseph. Mary was what they call betrothed to Joseph, but not yet married. So they were kind of engaged. We call this engaged the first year uh, as in, of engagement, betrothal, but uh, betrothal itself was was kind of was as binding as marriage. But they're not they're not married yet because um, uh, they need to uh, consummate the union. So this arrangement is normally for a year before the bride to be could live with her husband and then consummate the union. So God, never never without human controversy, gives Mary a child, pregnancy, that would have been seen as illegitimate union of adultery. Um, punishable by death. So when we read our verses, what we find is that he's, he's doing it quietly because all he wants to do is protect Mary. And he's saying, I don't, I don't want to publicly do it because she'll be put to death, basically, because it will be seen as she's had an illegitimate child. So they never, they never slept together because the text says that she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the modern-day role of Joseph might be best described as a stepfather to Jesus, I suppose. Uh, but that probably doesn't really work because of Jesus being holy and God and perfect. And he doesn't need a stepfather. He's got the father in heaven. But it, it's the closest we could probably understand to where Joseph is in this, in this story, in this picture. So this puts Joseph in a kind of quandary. So he considers divorcing Mary quietly to protect her. And this is where we get our first glimpse of Joseph having to find understanding, to find resolve in a situation where he's faced between two worlds, one of worldly values and one of kingdom values. On one side, a world that cares more about appearance than truth. On the other, a world that is greater and has a wider purpose to bring salvation to mankind. Now, the immediate world he's living in is the one that he's worried about. That's the one, because he's, he's going to face that every single day. And in reading and understanding the gospel, the decision we should all be faced with is, do I believe in the Bible, 
the word of God or do I not? Which means you will not find in, in understanding uh, the gospel in comparison to the world. What I mean by that is that we don't take the world's truths and mix them with the biblical truths. We, we take the word for what it is and we start on the road of understanding. What does the word say? And what we're doing here is we're trying to adjust our way of living and way of seeing in line with the Bible and then looking out from the Bible. So we're not compromising on the two. We're not saying, I, I want this, I like this bit of the world and I like this bit of the Bible and I want them to work together. They just won't. Jesus came to uh, save us from the world that has fallen. So rather we are to interrogate, reason, understand the Bible that stands on its own two feet. Spurgeon uh, here, he says, um, okay, he says here, the Spurgeon says, the gospel is a reasonable system and it appeals to men's understanding. It is a matter for thought and consideration and it appeals to the conscience and reflecting powers. I love that. The gospel is a reasonable system. It appeals to men's understanding. I, I like the fact that it, uh, what, what Spurgeon describes here is, is not, it's not that the, the, the Bible is hard to access. I like that because he, he, it, God makes a way, makes a bridge through the word so we can get to understand who he is. But it's a matter of thought, consideration, not blindness, not, not, not robotically following just because you're told, but actually in grace, God allows a, a reasoning for us to get into the word and say, what does this mean? And then to pray to him, well, what does that mean? Why did you do that? Why did you do this? Joseph was met with this appeal to understand, um, sorry, to, un to, with this appeal to understand from the angel of the Lord. It says in verse 20, um, I think I've got the right one. Yes. <laughs> He says, but after he had considered uh, this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. I like that. Have you, have you noticed that, that the most, I would say probably the most important element of that text is put right at the end? Have you seen that? He says, uh, Give birth to a son. You have to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And if you read that, it's, it's almost like it's just added on. And yet, again, hold on a minute. He's going to save us from our sins. That's not a footnote. All of that together is amazing. All of that together. She'll give birth to a son. You have to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. A prophecy being lived out right now coming true. And so what is presented by the angel of the Lord is not a cover-up or a compromise. What is presented is, uh, is to live to the will of and truth of God, accepting his truth, or live to worldly standards. So it's in his grace that even, even I wouldn't say beg, but it, he certainly petitions Joseph through the angel of the Lord to say, will you do this? Because this is what's going to happen. This is, this, is what's, this is a story that's about to unfold in real life. It's going to happen. So he's got to either accept this truth or live to worldly standards, live in fear of disbelief from those around him 
only ever doing anything as long as others were not offended. Reasoning, understanding how God made Mary part of his plan means having to live against the expectations of the world. God didn't do this blindly. He knows that the influence of the world, the way the world behaves, is that Mary will be and Joseph will be outcast in that sense because of their view of what it is to be uh, living in, in a fronting, in an image that isn't true. And so they're, 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 they're part of the plan to live against the expectations of the world, as well as everything that comes with that, being sidelined, shunned, and being an outcast, and that's what's, that's what's coming. So two factors that Joseph really has to understand and accept and get to grips with are what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. That's one challenge already. They've just got together, they're engaged, and then the Holy Spirit... Jesus makes, a, uh, make, makes Mary pregnant with Jesus. And just if you're thinking just as a person, you're thinking, That's, uh, uh, what's going on? What is happening here? But not only that, he then has to consider the second thing, that this child would eventually in his last days on earth save people from their sins. Can, can you, as a person, you could not fathom seeing Jesus, this baby who's about to be born, being the saviour of the world, how can you even think and imagine as Joseph that that's, yeah, that's fine, that's perfectly fine, I accept it, it's not a problem. A baby born of flesh, but who is God? The baby growing in uh, Mary's womb is the saviour of the world, is the coming Messiah, and yet for Joseph, it is not his child. Imagine how startled or surprised Joseph was when an angel told him that Mary was carrying the Messiah. Your world is just turned upside down. But I think I think I understand what overrides Joseph's fear and why we, we get to the point where Joseph accepts this situation. The angel of the Lord was speaking to him. That, that doesn't happen every day. That's not a thing you do every day. That's not a thing that happens all the time. And we know it's from a dream because then we see later on he wakes up. But have you, I don't know if you've ever had a dream. I've, I've had, we, we all have dreams, but my dreams are mostly garbled and a, and a bit nonsensical sometimes. They don't really make sense. Uh, different people in, in different and strange circumstances and seeing people do strange things and whatever. Your brain just kind of does these, shows these weird Im- imagery in your dreams. This is not one of those. And you'll find that you know, dreams are forgotten quite quickly, I think, is the scientific uh, understanding, is that we do forget, and I forget, dream a few hours after uh, I, I've woken up. But this is not that sort of dream. This dream is going to stick in his head because it is an, a message from the angel of the Lord. It is clear and abundantly true. I think the fact that it wasn't a feeling but a direct revelation helped even in any doubt he might have had. His acceptance that God was working for a bigger purpose and a bigger plan meant that Joseph was able to reason and understand that it was not about him but about the salvation of the human race. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son 
and we'll call him Emmanuel. So how are we as people to come to an understanding of the word? How are we to reason with the word? Proverbs 2, uh, verse 2 to 5 says this. Turning your ear to wisdom. Double check. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as if for silver and search for it as if for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you ever do you ever read the Bible that way? I don't think I read the Bible that way. I don't think I'm I'm always searching for the hidden truth. I think it there, there are circumstances in which preparing for the for the sermon, you're searching for the hidden truths all the time. But maybe God's calling us to do that a bit more. Maybe God's calling us to be that that's kind of how normal it should be. We should be searching for treasure. It's not an immediate uh, revelation. The word uh, is probably the only book we read over and over again in different places that we don't necessarily read it from start to finish. That we read it in spots and, and places and, and, and books and chapters. And yet we've read it already and yet we read it again. Why is that? It's because God puts this searching in our heart, I think. We're searching for truth. Searching for our meaning of our existence in this place. And what, what I see today, and my concern is that as people we've stopped searching and in some way expect understanding to come to us rather than going to find it. But the Bible teaches that the word itself is not something that just appears in your head. It doesn't, it doesn't go through osmosis. It doesn't just go in there if you've never read the Bible. We have to read the Bible. That is different to Revelation. God can reveal things and speak to you. But the Bible we have to read. We have to pick it up and we have to read it. Uh, I always talk here that uh, we get the, op- the opportunities that we can read the Bible. I think I might change that. We, we must read the Bible. We're heading into times now where we're, we're, we, could be, we could be taken away with all sorts of strange teaching. And I'm genuinely concerned by what I see around me. I'm genuinely frightened by the sort of teaching that I've seen. And I think it's time to really shore up our learning of the Bible, our teaching of the Bible, so we know that when this teaching in disguise comes, we know truth from lies. You might get revelation, you might get vision, but the Bible is a treasure that needs to be searched for and to find. Wisdom is in part understanding. It is part of our understanding. And having wisdom from God is not an automatic right because you are a Christian. Because we're imperfect here. We are full of flaws. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says this. Uh, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it will cost all you have. Get understanding. To gain understanding of the faith and the word and God himself requires an investment and a cost. And that can appear in all sorts of ways. It can appear in how you live your life. It can appear in the cost of the time it takes in your life to read and get into the word. And then, of course, there is the persecution of which that might bring. Joseph eventually understood that there would be a cost to having his eyes open to understanding, that it would lead to acceptance. 
that traditionally he, what he wanted to do and had to wait so that God's plan would be carried out, that he would play his part in it. He had to stop doing what he wanted to do and let God. And this is the challenge for us, isn't it? How do we let God? How do we let God? How do we accept the word that we claim to believe in? That it is true. It is infallible. It is God's word. Well, the world teaches us that our own understanding is our truth. It teaches us uh, that we should trust in what we choose to understand, in what we choose to make our truth. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If we don't trust in the word, they will be led uh, down the road of our own understanding. If Joseph goes with his own understanding, he chooses to divorce Mary and he doesn't trust God. Leaning on our own understanding leads to dangerous paths and places. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 9 says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, uh, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of um, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and can contrive a weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins uh, and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. I'm going to try and say these words. Just as Janes and Jam Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case... Of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. This is heavy scripture, isn't it? Heavy, heavy stuff. But this is for our good. Would you believe this is for our good? This is so we understand that what's coming is going to be veiled in what appears to be truth. They'll say all the right words. They'll say Jesus. They'll say God. They'll say things like miracles. And they'll dress it up with words of the Bible. Sheep in wolf's clothing, really. Wolves in sheep's clothing? Wolves in sheep's clothing. That was the wrong way around, wasn't it? <laughs> the other one doesn't even make sense anyway. Um, but you see that the heaviness of which, which Paul is teaching Timothy here, that what's going to come are these times when there won't be a clear understanding, won't be a clear just that's not God, that's not the Bible, this is God, this is the Bible. People will get more and more devious with their teaching so as to make it sound like it's from the Bible. This is why I'm on a mission that we should learn about the Bible that we need to equip and tool up in the Bible so we're ready to go. For Joseph, in that moment of understanding and acceptance, he was part of something that he would likely not been able to fathom. But all the same, he trusts God of the Bible. 
But what does it mean to accept the word for what it says and in its revelation? What acceptance is not is here in a verse in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 verse 7. says, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Do you know, I'm trying to describe what that is. Uh, we can be, we can, we can love the word. We can, we can really love reading the word. The problem with it, and, and what, what we're trying to be, what we're, the Bible is warning us against, is that that word never changes us. Is that we love what it feels like in here, but we don't do anything. It changes nothing in here. Always gatherers of knowledge, and, not, and knowledge is addictive. Knowledge is addictive. But it should be addictive in the right way. It should be biblical addictive. It should be that once it goes in, I keep look, investing myself into the Bible, reading. Something should, should, should drip down into here, into my heart. It should change something and, keep, and continue to change something. At some point, an acceptance of the authority of God has to happen. There's only so much understanding we can take on before it becomes a- academic and brain-filling. When Joseph accepted the revelation of God that he should stay with Mary and be part of fulfilling the prophecy, what he did was accept that God was at work and that he was being called to make a choice. A choice over knowing the truth but never coming to a knowledge of it or knowing, understanding, and then accepting the truth. Actually, he will never fully understand why he is involved in this situation with Mary who is giving birth to the saviour of the world. And there has to come a point where just as Joseph did, we have to go, the authority of God is the authority of God, and I accept him. And then God would place him, Joseph, in the history of scripture that would eventually be accessible to millions around the world so that the truth could be reasoned with and understood. That's exciting, isn't it? You know, the only reason why we can reason and even just investigate and get into the word is because of grace. It's only because of grace. And so when we read the Bible, we're, we're celebrating grace of God. So what we're doing is saying, thank you, Lord, that I can even spend more than a minute reading your word. That I can then go off and I can ask you all sorts of questions and I can pray to you about it and I can, I can really get into it. That's the grace of God. John 1, verse 12, says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is our hope as we explain the gospel to those we encounter. If we believe that God's word is the source of conviction, then our trust in it, as we speak of it unashamedly, showing our acceptance of it, will change the very hearts of those we speak to about it. Does that make sense? I, I was troubled with this last part. And I was thinking, how can I explain this? And I thought, if I'm speaking to someone and I don't fully accept every single word of the Bible, my witness, I don't think my witness is going to be effective. If there's something I'm not I'm doubtful about in the word, not what I say, not my interpretation, not what I teach here, I'm saying read the word for what it is. And if there's something in there I do not accept word for word, what is my gospel sharing effectiveness? 
This is why it's important to get back into the Word. Baptists are known for studying the Bible. Do you know that? Baptists are known for that. And, you know, I, I'm not into the denomination thing. I think many people are just, and that's sort of become, I hope, actually a secondary thing, because actually primary is that we're Christians and we believe in the Word of God. But I'm looking at this principle of Baptists, and they love the Word. Oh, I think that's a good one to keep. I'm going to show you this last, um, just so we bring this to an end, this last quote. And it's from um, Spurgeon again. I'm a bit obsessed with Spurgeon, but he's, he's providing really great, uh, he has provided, sorry, really great quotes, rather. Uh, <laughs> he didn't, by the way, he didn't provide the quotes. Uh, he, he wrote streams and streams of theological papers. Uh, and what people have done is, hopefully most of the time, rightly, is, is taken it out and quoted correctly what he said. And he said this, saving faith is an immediate revelation, uh, sorry, relation to, to Christ. Accept him, receiving, resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of God's grace. It's an immediate relation to Christ. I love that. Saving faith. So here it is. When we look at the story of Joseph, what we see is a, a man perplexed by the, the, the will of God, by the, the plan that he has. But in the end, there was only so far he could go with it. There's only so far he could understand what was the bigger purpose of what God was doing. And then he just gave it over to God and said, God, then your will be done. If I've got a clear message from an angel of the Lord, how can I refute such a thing? And so we have the Bible today. We look back on the history of the Bible that is true, that the events of what unfolded. And it is for our edification and our equipping and our encouragement that we trust in this word, that we may be built up, equipped and ready to go, so that others may be confident in our confidence that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to bring the service to a close. Lord, uh, we want to thank you this morning that uh, we are reminded that you give so much grace and room. Ah, Lord, how, um, yeah, how you, you, you keep us here. You keep us living and you allow in this grace for us to, to, to live is only because of Jesus. And Lord, even now, that any day you could return, grace operates, even now. And grace will operate to the very second that Jesus will return. Because at that point, we know, Lord, that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Oh, Lord, may we be on the right side of that confessing. May we be on the right side of that bowing of the knee. That we may already know that Jesus is our Lord and we'll be bowing the knee because we worship our Saviour, not because we're in fear of not believing in him and not trusting in God. Oh, Lord, we pray for the people around us. We pray for our friends and family that they may know that Jesus is real and has come and has been to, to die on a cross and rose again so that we may have a new life in him. 
Lord, we do this for you. We're here to serve you. And Lord, I do ask today that you guide us in this church to be gospel tellers, gospel speakers of the word, that they may know, people around us, they may know that what we have is not exclusively, exclusively for us, but for everyone who trusts and believes in Jesus. Oh Lord, thank you that you trust us with the message. You trust us that we can even speak your name or your names. Oh Lord, may scripture be a joy to us as we get back into this great book of life, of death, of answers to everything that we could possibly ask. Lord, we lift this message to you and we say, Lord, will you send us out this week, Lord, in confidence and in hope that we trust in the word of God and through the Holy Spirit that we may be led to speak of this great joy in Jesus Christ, that he has saved us and we are in eternity and will be in eternity in the kingdom of heaven with our Lord and Saviour. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. Amen.